0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello everybody, I'm Morris Arduinac, co-host for the podcast Queer Voices of the South, which is found under the LGBTQ Plus Studies on the New Books Network right here. Today I'm talking with Shelby Criswell about their just released book, Queer is All Get Out, Ten People Who've Inspired Me, which was just released from Street Noise Books. Welcome to the podcast, Shelby.
1: Thank you so much. I'm I'm really stoked
0: to be here. Well, we're ter- d- delighted that you said yes to do do this. I know it's there's a lot going on. The book is just just out, like this week or next week. So, yeah, on uh, Tuesday. Oh, cool! So congratulations. A week, a week from now. Congratulations! I know what that feels like. Um, it's, <laughs> it's it's such a, a wonderful feeling, and um, you're you've done a beautiful job. So we're going to talk about that beautiful job tonight. Um,
1: awesome. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I'm going to tell the listeners a little bit about you. Uh, Shelby Criswell is a queer comic creator and graphic designer lived thriving in San Antonio, Texas. Shelby he uses the pronouns they/there. Studied studio arts at the Santa Fe Institute of Art and Design, as well as uh, sa- sorry the Santa Fe Institute of Art and Design, as well as illustration at the Academy of Arts University. They have been creating comics and drawing since childhood and haven't found anything more fulfilling to take its place. When Shelby's not creating comics or working on graphic design projects for clients, they are playing banjo, going on overnight bike trips, or drinking far too much coffee. I know the drill. Shelby has <laughs> had uh, work in a few comic anthologies, including Sweaty Palms, Everything is Going Wrong, and is in the Ignatz and Ringo award-winning book, Be Gay, Do Comics. Shelby made their debut into mainstream comics as the the artist on Terminal Punks, published by Mad Cave Studios. Their first graphic novel, Queer as All Get Out, is out now from Street Noise Books. They have also illustrated online comics for, oh, Joy, Sex Toy, and The Nib. Here's a little bit about the book. Follow the daily life of one queer artist from Texas as they introduce us to the lives of 10 extraordinary people. The author shares their life as a genderqueer person living in the American South, revealing their own personal struggle for acceptance and how they were inspired by these historical LGBTQA people to live their own truth. Featuring biographies of Mary Jones, Wei Hua, Magnus Hirschfeld, Dr. Pauli Murray, Wilmer Littleax, M. Broadnax, Sister Rosetta Tharp, Carla Brown, Nancy Cardenas, Ifti Nassim, and Simon Nicolai. I have a few questions, so we're going to go right into them. Uh, Again, welcome. Uh, You start off telling us in your book about yourself as a queer, uh, genderqueer person in the South. Set that that up for us, because it was a great way to get into the book. Tell us a little about, about your history.
1: So yeah, I've, I've always lived in the South. I mean, I was born in San Antonio, Texas, and that's where I live today. And then, I mean, made my way a little bit Southwest to New Mexico, but still the South kind of, you know? <laughs> and then I've also lived in Tennessee. So I've always been here and that's been most of my lived experience. And growing up, I lived in this really small little town outside of San Antonio that was a little bit in the country, and. You know how it goes the country school, there's a bunch of, you know people who are not open to uh, weirdos like me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, I've always uh, been you know, when I was a kid, I obviously identified as a girl, and I was the tomboy of the group, you know, and so that kind of led into my adulthood of you know, exploring my gender of being genderqueer, and so I, I discussed that in the beginning of the book.
0: Yeah, it was a great way a little bit to get to know you because your individual struggle is unfortunately not unique to those of us who grew up in the South. I grew up in Louisiana. Um, and the, the, it's, it, the culture shifts from region to region in the country, but it happens every single place. I want to tell you, I when I moved from New Orleans to New York, I thought, oh, New York is going to be so open and welcoming. Well, i tell you, I was walking with a gay friend in the East Village of New York, um one of my first months in the city and we were just walking and we got queer bashed uh, verbally um on on the sidewalk people yelling so this guy was yelling at us and we're like wow this never happened in new orleans uh so it just depends yeah. on, on, on where you are and what the circumstance and what kind of crazy person at that time um right. it's, you happen to run into so um, yeah. <laughs> God. So we've all been through some things. You've been through a lot. Um, I know. In your book, I uh, reveal so much about you. As you reveal uh, uh, about the these ten uh, remarkable people, tell us what made you. I know you're working as an illustrator. Tell us what made you want to write a book about it. Uh, about this.
1: So I actually started off doing comics for the Nib, which is like a online um, political and satire commentary sort of comic website. And I pitched to them doing something about Magnus Hirschfeld, because I had um been researching like queer pioneers, and I was like and int- i'm always I've always been interested in history and like my family genealogy, and so i'm ha I'm always researching just new people and like collecting stories and so I pitched to them doing a small bit about magnus Hirschfeld, and they they bit and so I did it <laughs> and um and that sort of just led into this book being made because because that was online, I got an agent and the agent said, Hey, let's make this into a bigger thing. And, uh, here we are now.
0: <laughs> wonderful. Um, wonderful. That definitely deserves a bigger thing. Um, well, <laughs> well again, congratulations. Um, there's so many wonderful people. I'm going to ask you to talk about them shortly, but I want to talk a little bit more about the process. Um, uh, th- to me, uh, when I hear the term illustration, I think of it as both a, a noun and a verb. Um, something mm-hmm. illustrates a problem. You illustrate, you, you solve a problem by illustrating it. Uh, you begin to solve a problem by illustrating it or, or call attention to a problem. Or the illustration itself, it's a, something, in whatever medium you use, um, it's a thing too. So it's a noun and a verb. But uh, the process of what you're doing, t- tell us about how the drawing process itself, when you get into it and you're drawing a panel, for something as complex as the many many panels you do so beautifully in this book um tell us how you because i'm marveling when i'm looking at this book i'm like it stops you and you, it's not just the words because the words are, are wonderful but um to look at these panels and and examine them like there's so much so much art in here there's so much talent that's oozing out of whoever did this um and it's just brilliant tell us about the process
1: well, thank you also for all the nice compliments <laughs> um uh, yeah, that it's interesting that you said um, illustrating the problem, and and that's a lot of what I do. And in comics specifically, it's you have to kind of know how to draw everything. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've had to for for my Terminal Punks project learn how to draw animals for the first time, and and even with all these these ten people, you have to learn how to draw ten different people and make it look like them. And even some of the people, like Mary Jones, there's only one image of her, and it's not even an actual photograph. It's a drawing of her that was printed in a newspaper. So the problem becomes, okay, what did she look like? What did she wear during the 1800s? You know, what did New York at the time look like? And so you have to do all this research for all these little details, and then you have to do it 10 times for every single person. Right. (laughs) So... Yeah, it's a lot of work.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you did it. Um, I, I noticed this um, when I am when I was looking at it, I forget which one of the people I was reading, um, but I looked at every single face. And you had to put them in all kinds of expressions, but they always looked authentic, like, like themselves, that you weren't just oh, randomly. You studied these people's faces, even though Mary Jones you only had a little bit to go on. They were all very consistent and um believable. I mean, you're very good with uh, getting the um, expressions in these, the the eyes and the mouths of of these illustrations. It's not, these are not cartoons. I mean, it's illustration is, um, you know, I love comics. I love cartoons. Actually, I love um, animation, all that world. Um, There's so much work that goes into that kind of work. I just marvel at it. So uh, congratulations. And I'm jealous uh, of you having a career in that. That's, that's wonderful. (laughs) Um, Thank you. <laughs> what happens when you're stuck? Stuck, though. I mean, uh, Mary Jones might be a good example. What happens when you're stuck of something and you, you've got to fill the panel with more than just one thought? You want to get, you know, flesh it out.
1: Um. So, a lot of, especially with Mary's, what helped me was just sort of looking up what photographs did exist of like the spaces in New York, and you know, watching movies or. Uh, documentaries that have to do with each of these people's what uh time period these people people lived in just to sort of inform like just little things in the background like this is what a roof looked like in 1873 you know and so i i think just collect and i i have these folders just full of pictures like reference images and a lot of them i actually sort of drew in the background and kind of copied um so yeah having a catalog of all these things helped when I felt a little bit stuck and, and even in like in the parts where I'm drawing myself in San Antonio, luckily there's tons of photos in San Antonio and I could just drive down the street and go find where that thing was, you know? Yeah. So it was easier in that portion to <laughs> sort of visualize each space.
0: Well, it comes across. And I'll tell you again, I, I really appreciate it as a reader um, that there that, that had to be so much, depth to 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 making these illustrations these people are so remote um in the minds of a lot of people they're they're, i think most of them will be unknowns to most people i did know of sister rosetta tharp um Mm -hmm. because she's cracked through the um the internet world and you see there's some youtube of her um but the other ones i actually had never heard of heard of and i was so appreciative that you brought these people to to light um especially um, in, in context with your own experience, but also as historical figures unto themselves without, without regard to their, to their gender identity. Um, they're, just fast, they're all fascinating. So you have great taste in, in <laughs> picking subjects. Um, let's start with Nancy Cardenas. Um, who was is, who is she?
1: She was a lesbian a Mexican poet. She was a translator, a playwright, an activist. She did a lot in her life. And um, she organized one of the earliest pride parades in Mexico, in, I think in the 70s. And she also is allegedly the first Mexican person in all of Mexico to publicly come out about her sexuality. And she did it on live television, which is good for her. Very bold. So cool, yeah. <laughs> she um, she was a lot of fun to draw, draw. And I figured, I, you know, San Antonio is a city sort of... Um, full of like Mexican culture. And uh, that inspired me to put her at the forefront of the book because I felt like a lot of my friends here in San Antonio would appreciate knowing, Hey, there's this amazing Mexican lesbian woman who, you know, came before us. And um, yeah, with all these people I kind of want my friends and people I know and, and people I don't know to see themselves. And that's why I chose such a wide array of people.
0: Um, and and you talk a little bit about what each person, how they inspired you, um, or or moved you, or or, or helped in, inform who you are. Um, let's talk about the next one in in the book is Ifti Nasim. I'm guessing I'm pronouncing that messy, but I-F-T- I think Ifti. I think Ifti that Mesi- might be
1: right. Yeah. Oh, cool. I I a lot of these people I had to look it up on YouTube and see if I could find anybody pronouncing their name.
0: <laughs> oh yeah.
1: Because you know, reading it is different.
0: Yeah. Um, so
1: Ifti was a gay man from Pakistan who um, was a poet, and he immigrated to America and um, to escape religious persecution and uh, an arranged marriage to a woman. He, you know, I'll I'll let you read the book. Whoever's listening to, you know, see how he conned his dad into doing that. <laughs> but he in Chicago he started Sangat. It's S A N G A T. I don't know if it's pronounced all the way. Sang at Chicago, and it, it was an organization that supported South Asian queer and trans people, and um, and he lives there the rest of his life with his partner, and uh, and just wrote poetry. And one of his books was supposedly the first open expression of queer themes in the Urdu language, which mm. is very interesting. And it, mm. I think a lot of it that book was banned in a lot of um, Countries that spoke in a lot of Middle Eastern countries and South Asian countries.
0: Um, so inspirational. Uh, I, you, you, I I get lost in these stories. Uh, sorry, Sister <laughs> no, Rosetta. Sister Rosetta Thorpe. I mentioned her because she does have uh, popularity. She's not as obscure as everyone else. Um, mm-hmm. But um, tell us about her. She was she was amazing. Just to listen to. Yeah. I, oh. I didn't know much about her.
1: Oh, and she was gorgeous. All of her outfits are beautiful. That was She was um, the person who I drew to pitch the book. And she was so much fun to draw because I love drawing guitars. And she has this white puffy coat that she wears in this. And you can look it up on YouTube. It's her performing at like a, a train yard. And it's so gorgeous. It was so much fun to draw. So going uh, back to her history, she is a black singer, songwriter, guitar player who... Um, She's famous for using like heavy distortion and electric guitars, and it made her the godmother of rock and roll. And she preceded people like Elvis and Little Richard, who you know we think of as rock icons and people who made the genre. But in reality, it was mostly black women, like Sister Rosetta Tharp, and um, so obviously that's why she's you know well known. And she was in the I think. In 2018, I believe they inducted her into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. But what a lot of people don't know about her is that although she was married to men most of her life, she also spent time with women. And her friends recently in a book um, said, "Yeah, she we caught her a few times with women," <laughs> but she never publicly came out as bisexual. Probably because she was within like the gospel community, you know?
0: Yeah. Can't do that. Um, Right. (laughs) So she she was inspirational. Uh, It's like you said, um, uh, Elvis Presley and um, Little Richard, uh, who, uh, Little Richard in particular, so flamboyant and amazing and gender bending, um, you know, and it didn't, and didn't care. <laughs> and yeah. um, it w- th- that's why they were so uh, Elvis wasn't gender bending, but he was, he was um, g- uh, genre bending. He, 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 he did appropriate um, his music was something that I think he appreciated hearing uh, those influences like Rosetta Tharp. So there's nothing against Elvis that, you know, he didn't create, um, he didn't originate things, but so he had the good sense to know what to do with it, but uh, with, right. with the work <laughs> that people before him had done. So, uh, uh, good for them all. Um, you're, it, it, if you have anything more to talk about her, uh, uh, I, I'd love to hear it. If not, we'll move on to the next one.
1: Oh, I, I think that's about it. I'll let I'll let everybody read the book and yeah. see how gorgeous she is.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Um, the next one is Weihua. or Wei uh,
1: Yeah, Weihua, I think um, there was actually recently on Google. I was I was scrolling. And the Google homepage was a illustration of Weewa, which was very cool. Wow. And it, you got to there was like this interactive thing where you got to um, weave um, through sticks and make like a, a tapestry, which is what Weewa did in their tribe. They are a, I'm I'm sure I'm going to pronounce this word wrong, uh, Lahamana, or technically like a third gender within the Zuni tribe in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, modern day we call Two-Spirit um, and they lived in, in the 1800s and they served as an ambassador to work with the Smithsonian to document um, art and, and history of their tribe and yeah that's what a lot of their work was was tapestries and pottery and they were they were born as male but identified as a woman and sort of took on traits of both throughout their life. And that's sort of what the two-spirit person does within this tribe. It serves as like a, a mediator. So that's what they did. And when they when they died, they buried Weewa and they buried them in males male clothes, but had this sort of I think a traditionally um, cotton thing, I uh, can't remember what it's called. But it's some it's like a cotton thing that goes around your ankles and is traditionally what women wore, so that even when they died they honored them in that way because it's part of this part of their tradition. And so the reason why I chose Wewa Wewa to be in this book is to show people that, you know, there are other especially Americans, you know, we're all it's sort of the they them genderqueer thing is kind of new here, but there are other traditions and countries and people way well before us who have had genders and people who um live outside of a two-person two-gender binary
0: yeah and and those cultures like the native american cultures um didn't necessarily ostracize in fact embrace them and gave them that beautiful term two-spirit the first time i came across that years ago it just gave me chills that's that's so beautiful um yeah yeah yeah. because
1: i would you would you grow up and you think oh it's just male and female and then you you know even just researching Meanwhile, I was like, oh, wow, this this com- this country does this and these people do this. And, you know, it's this long line of people who you never really even known because of, you know, our textbooks don't don't let us know, especially here in the south. Our, the Texas textbooks are horrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. Um and we can get into a lot about what's going on in Texas, but that will take us off course. It's <laughs> <because> going
1: <laughs> be te- two hours.
0: Texas te- talk about, and I used here t- said the word shame in Texas <laughs> it's such a natural combination. Um, and I'm not nothing personal about your home state because I come from a state that's just, it's just as funky. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I think uh, going, when you're from the south, you got to know that you know some yeah. some stuff is messed up here.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, there's some wonderful things too about all places. Yeah, oh, for uh, sure. Yeah. Um, Mary Jones, you mentioned her earlier, but tell us about Mary Jones.
1: So Mary Jones, not to be confused with mother Jones, who has the same name. Um, Mary was a black trans woman and a sex worker who lived in New York primarily, and also worked in uh, New Orleans. Sometimes she, um, is one of the earliest recorded transgender Americans. And it's only because she went to trial for sex work and um, theft of wallets. She would steal men's wallets. You know, good for her.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's <laughs> crafty.
1: Yeah, yeah, good for her. <laughs> you, got, yeah. I mean, you gotta make a living somehow. <laughs> yeah. But the reason why she, the only reason why we know we have a record of her is because of those court trials, which is very common with a lot of black people during this time period. A lot of them we only know because of arrests. And not because of any other reason, you know, a lot of them just came out of slavery and their family history was sort of wiped And there. And even in genealogy, this is sort of brick wall that a lot of black people face that they can't. There's no even professional genealogists can't penetrate that brick wall and even know where they came from before they came to America. So but unfortunately that has carried on even past slavery in Mary Jones's case.
0: Um, so, so um, like everyone um, so far and in fact, the whole list, everyone has already passed on. So these people have all done their wonderful contributions to the world we live in now um, and have gone. And there are so many people inspired, like we talked about sister Rosetta. Um, the next one, um, Dr. Magnus Hirschfeld, Um uh, I may have come across that name before um, in other other readings. So I said it was uh, Sister Tharp, who was the only one. But I think his, he's, he also made a, a a broader name for himself. Tell us about him.
1: Yeah, a lot of people probably have heard that name or at least have seen the film The Danish Girl, which yeah. is about one of his, um, his patients. So he was a gay Jewish uh, physician and sexologist who opened a nonprofit institute in Germany that um, catered to helping people explore their sex and their gender. And, you know, they provided free classes, they provided, uh, you know, safe sex um, tips. And and they also um, helped people with gender confirmation surgeries. And there, his team was one of the earliest people to do so. In the case of the Danish girl, Um, I think Lily Elby is the name of um, the woman they first performed on. And sadly, because he was Jewish and he was in Germany and he lived during the time of World War II, he was targeted by the Nazis and all of the work that he did in his sexology institute, um, they had like over 20,000 books in their archive and most of it's gone. The Nazis burnt it. And there's, you know, that famous picture of a Nazi youth um, tossing books into a large fire. And that's that's where that comes from. Yeah. And, yeah. So sad. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, uh, a little bit more about him. He did have lovers. Um, <laughs> he did. He did not leave a double life. You know, uh, or, or maybe I'm remembering that wrong, but he wasn't trying to pass. He just was doing his his research um, a lot of people tried to pass, let's use that term, uh, because they were not quite, uh, able to be in whatever was assigned to them at birth. So, but, so he had, it was, he was, he was comfortable already in, in living a, a life, especially in those times that, um, had to be lived in the shadows, um, that yeah. didn't bother him. I didn't no, see No, not
1: at all. Yeah. No, what, he also lived in Berlin, which uh, at the time apparently had a pretty prominent, like scene of gay people and and even had like drag shows or what what they would have considered drag shows at the time and and he was immersed in that culture and that's where he you know him and his friends hung out and talked to people and and you know would ask about their gender and their sexuality and he also was um polyamorous so he had two partners and one of them was much younger than him <laughs> and one of them was a little bit closer to his age and he was with them until, until they, until he died, both yeah. of them.
0: So he was quite a, a boundary breaker. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the, you said polyamorous and, um, uh, age differences and, um, you know, just, he, he, he was living f- fully <laughs> and, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. even though he was in horrible times and to see all of his wonderful work burned. Yeah. Right, um, uh, that's, uh, he, he did, he was, he was a, a
1: trailblazer. Um, mm-hmm. Who was Carlette Brown? Carlette. She, Carlette. <laughs> she, um, she was a black intersex veteran and trans woman who all her life sought gender, gem, uh, gender confirmation surgery because she had seen another American white veteran do the same. And um, she constantly researched how to, how to do it, how to get there try to, you know, contact the same doctor, and it's unknown if she ever received it. She, at one point, couldn't get her, um, couldn't get a passport or whatever you need to go across seas because she owed uh, money to the IRS. And it just was, like, a bunch of things in her life that kept piling up that she just wasn't able to get it. And so it's that's why it's not known if she ever received it. And I even searched, like, death certificates or anything I could find on her. I couldn't find anything about the end of her life or when she died and and nobody knows. And so, but if she did go to Europe and get that surgery, she would have been one of the earliest or the, the first um, black transgender American to get a gender confirmation surgery.
0: Hmm. Um, She had some struggles. She had to work. She went back, she went to work to try to pay, the debt, so she can go, and um, like you said, you reveal that you weren't able to get much beyond th- that information, and it's it's. Uh, but you still, she still has enough in her history um, to have inspired you. About. So tell us how how she inspired you.
1: So uh, I realize I th- the person she is inspired by. I'm forgetting her name. Um, it was during the nineteen. 19- 40s I believe was a white transgender woman who got that surgery I can't remember her name but I you know so many people talk about her when they're talking about um, queer history and then when I was researching maybe some of the first trans recorded people in America I came across Carlette and some of the also the only reason why we know about Carlette is because um, somebody in Jet magazine published articles about her because they were interested in her life. Um, And there's an archive online called the transgender digital archive or something like that, that you can go and read all of these articles, um, these newspaper things. And there's pictures of her um, about her and they talk about her struggles. And at one point those articles just sort of stop. And that's maybe when the, the wall that, we all face when trying to find the end of her life. (laughs) But I, the reason why I chose her is because the person she was inspired by was a white woman. And we all, a lot of, you know, people know about her, but no, nobody really knows about Carlette, maybe because the end of her life is unknown. That's probably why we don't talk about it as as much.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you, you mentioned a resource that you provide in the book. You provide several resources, so the listeners out there know that when you're reading this, there's so much great, great information. You, the, the, your your uh, um, work is so comprehensive and thorough that you, you think oh, it's just going to be a story about 10 people and, and you know, your title and, and how they inspired you. Uh, but there's a whole lot more. This is a helpful, this is a help book. Um, Because you do provide um, so many great resources. And I love the little asides you have in almost every uh, chapter. You have an aside that takes you out of that uh, story a little bit and you pull a little bit of context from your own voice and you draw yourself saying that (laughs) and it's really (laughs) cool. And so I love that. This is a book that moves um, in so many ways and has, um, and it's going to, I think it's going to have a very lasting value um, to the LGBTQ plus, uh, plus um, world, but also beyond that world. There's a lot of information that I think uh, people who are not part of this community um, are going to go, wow. Um, Had no idea how how deep this goes. (laughs) <laughs> I think so. Um, I, so so. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, the world owes you. Uh, Dr. Pauli Murray.
1: So Dr. Pauli Murray was um, a black human rights activist and a lawyer and a scholar and a priest and an author, <laughs> much like Nancy, the, you know, kind of a jack-of-all-trades. And um, they explored their gender identity early on in their life. And on the on the website about Dr. Polly Murray, like the official website about them um, they use he him or they them early on in Polly's life and then once they shift later in their life, um, they change to she and her because that's what Polly did. Polly you know in early in life um, even went to a doctor at one point and said, "Can you give me testosterone?" and the doctor denied them um because of the times that was unheard of. And, and then maybe, you know, they later on their life, they became one of the um, first black non-cis gender males to be ordained as an Episcopal priest. And that's probably Mm. why they went with a she, her um, identity, maybe just because of the environment they were surrounded in. Um, But with their uh, work as a lawyer, they wrote books that helped inform the uh, NAACP's argument in the Brown versus a, a Board of Education case, which is mm-hmm. incredible. I could, I did not yeah. know that at all. <laughs> and then I was researching. And I was like, holy crap!
0: Yeah, I didn't know that either. You, you informed me in this book. You informed me about all of this. <laughs> <laughs> um, Wilmer Little Axe Broadnax. Who was that?
1: So Wilmer was a black trans man. And he sang tenor in a lot of um, famous uh, gospel quartets during the like golden age of traditional black gospel. And um, they sang with their brother most in most of these quartets, who sang baritone. So, and they also had a significant height difference, which is the funny part. And you know, the the short one sings tenor, sings high, and then the tall one sings low. <laughs> um, so they made a good pair, and and their brother always kept their secret of being a trans man sacred and and never told anybody all their life. And so they lived in this world of surrounded by religious people um, as a man and and they passed all their life, which is fantastic. Good for them. And, but when they died, they, unfortunately, that's when it was found out and it sort of sent shock waves throughout the community. And those people sort of felt lied to, but you know, that's, that's a whole other situation
0: <laughs> but, but they have uh, had uh, achieved a, a, some a, a good measure of fame and I think that's uh, in, in that in, you know in, as, as musicians mm-hmm. so um, I think that's kind of uh, peculiar in many ways that they became successful. Um, a lot yeah. of these other people struggled um, not not just thought but a lot of people struggled uh, financially um, and yet Wilmer and uh, their brother, were quite successful
1: oh yeah they were pretty famous within that community and and I think unfortunately some of the the recordings were lost in a in a fire of the record company in like 2008 or something like this famous fire but yeah. I mean the things that we do have they're phenomenal I have a I have a podcast i mean a, a playlist on Spotify that it's like the official queers I'll get out playlist and a lot of, a lot of the groups that he sang in. I have on there.
0: Wow. I could go check it out. Uh, <laughs> one more of the 10, Simon Nikolai.
1: Okay. Simon, last but not least, and he's also the last in the book. <laughs> um, he was a black and gay activist who grew up during apartheid in South Africa. So he experienced a lot of racism because of the separation of, of white and black people in South Africa. And that informed a lot of what he did. So he constantly was being ridiculed for um, being against apartheid by his white gay friends. And he sought after making spaces that were safe for both white and black uh, gay men. But, uh, you know, because of the times and the culture surrounding it, a lot of the, the white friends were not willing to budge. And so because of that, Simon started the... The earliest black gay support group, and also like one of the first pride parades in Johannesburg, um, and even and later in his life he worked as an AIDS activist, and but sadly that's also what killed him in the end. And they, his friends made this. I think there's a documentary called Simon and I from one of his best friends who is a lesbian woman, and in the end you can see parts of his I think it's parts of his actual funeral and the celebration they give to him and it's it's a beautiful beautiful ceremony and they have he has a street named after him in Johannesburg and his story lead. I left last in my book because I dedicated the whole book to my uncle who also died of AIDS
0: yeah I saw that was very touching and I opened it up on uh, the book and you see that it's such a such a a moving just little piece of um of you you sharing with us um the um a a lot of families have uncles like that especially coming Mm -hmm. from the time period of yours uh, who were going through a lot of things when a lot of things were mysterious still yeah uh, about how treatment worked and uh, best practices and all kinds of things and the ostracized uh nature of people who were ostracizing nature of people who, mm-hmm. uh, did not know what to do about, uh, their relatives, um, who, who often were like, um, well, had to go basically, uh, move away live live, live, a, live, live a life that's not going to be connected to the family anymore. So, um, When I saw that, it brought me back. I had friends who experienced that uh, because I grew up in the nineteen seventies. I'm I've been around a while. So um, when the AIDS crisis hit in uh, nineteen in the eighties and late eighties. All of that, and there's no medicine, no the the hospitals, the medical uh, community, there was no information. It was just a bunch of chaos. And while the chaos was happening, the the misinformation, the disinformation, the the, the, the bigotry, all uh, happening at once, uh, people were dying. And you know, I just it's just very touching that you dedicate that to your uncle. So uh, very sweet. Um, Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's heartbreaking. Um, I, I even posted one time about him. His name was Doug. And it's, it was wild to me to see how many other people were in the uh, same situation, that they had an uncle that the family doesn't talk about very much who who died the same way. And I felt like that was a good way to, this book was a good way to sort of pay tribute to him.
0: Well done. Um, I'm sure he's smiling down on you. Uh, <laughs> And rightly so. Um, You you uh, mentioned throughout as uh, you introduce a new person, uh, sometimes they go by uh, the um, uh, he or she uh, pronoun, and some others use the they their construct. I want to talk about that in general because it's definitely something that your book brings up right in right in forefront. That this is this is something that is. It's kind of a moving target these days um, where the it hasn't been ironed out completely about how best uh, there, there there isn't a great example out there of how do you do this? How do you add a new system of pronouncing people um, which had been has been stagnant for all these eons and um, having to and, and you yourself having to live in a world where people are. Um, don't get that the they is 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 followed by the verb are and not is, even though you're an individual they. Mm-hmm. Um, so that some of those old old grammatical constructs that get in the way of people's brains of of uh, making this smooth. Um, so tell us about what that's like.
1: It, it is <laughs> funny whenever you whenever you mention um, whenever I mention pronouns to somebody, they immediately become a an English teacher. <laughs> you mm. know, oh, that's the wrong way to do it, yada, yada. but the thing is, like, you know, and even in Shakespeare's time, Shakespeare used they them as a reference to one person, and even now we use ref- we use they them for one person without even thinking about it. So here's an example that I use when trying to explain uh, they them pronouns. And so, say somebody forgot their jacket, and you're trying to tell somebody who works at the restaurant or whatever that the person left their jacket, you say, they left their jacket, here it is, you know, so yeah. you don't know the person's gender, and you automatically use they, you yeah. know, you're not going to say he or she left her jacket, you know, right. that would so, be odd.
0: Yes. Exactly. Yeah,
1: that would be yeah. weird. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the, I mean, we all we all use it. And, and it's it is um, obviously a new thing. Even I had to get used to it at one point but I picked up pretty quickly because that helped inform my own identity. And that's also why, you know, like I said, wanted to mention people like Weewa who live in a society where that's normal. I mean, it's, it's normal in other places. So why can't it be normal here?
0: Exactly. Uh, well, um, well done, um, broaching it because the book does, and it's not consistent from person to person, it's an individual thing, and you make that mm-hmm. very plain, um, by how some of the people uh, felt uh, they should identify themselves. So, um, beautifully done. Um, I, I wanted to talk, it leads me to the thought about uh, dead naming. Um, uh, Mary Jones, you mentioned that there's a lot of, of information uh, lost on her because the the U S census did not even start to count black, the black people, black population until like eight, late 1800s. Um, isn't that gut wrenching? I couldn't believe that, but I yeah. believed it, but I went, oh, I didn't even consider that. And that makes sense. Yeah. But I was st- stunned. And then that comes in, 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 in the a place in the book where you talk about dead naming, which is uh, referring to somebody's birth name when they have already chosen another, mm-hmm. uh, tell us about dead naming. Cause that's a, that's a, it's arrogant and it's ignorant, but it's, 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 um, sometimes it's, it's hostile. Uh, tell us about it.
1: Yeah. Most of the, uh, thankfully I, I use the same name I was born with. I, I don't have an experience of dead naming, but you know, a lot of my friends have experienced that and, um, it is, it's, it is very heartbreaking. It's, and a lot of times it's used out of, in, out of malice. It yeah. used, it's used to be mean, And, you know, and to say that when people use your name that you're born with, they are, you know, purposefully choosing not to accept your identity, which is very unfair. And even when somebody has a a nickname, you know, we choose to, we call them by their nickname. But so why can't we call them somebody by their chosen name? Same example, you know, we just, we do it. But when it comes to the context of transgender people, non-binary people, we just... A lot of people choose to ignore it.
0: Yeah, um, and and it's it's disrespectful. And um, but but the people who tend to dole out that disrespect are uh, kind of consummately disrespectful in general mm-hmm. for all kind. Of, it's the kind of person that, that's always going to be that way in those kind of situations, which are foreign to him or her. Um, yeah. You know, so um, that is are them are they? Um, So I don't think they're they're. um, I I think some of it is ignorance um, and the 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 southern thing. It's oh, it's not polite. That's how they were called at birth, I, I, you know. So yeah, yeah, I can hear the voices of the. Uh, I don't want to 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 malign any religion, but it's the the Southern Baptist ladies. So.
1: Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not polite, and like uh, oh bless their bless their heart, and they're thinking <laughs> yeah, bless, bless their. Bless their hellbound <laughs> hearts, what they really think. Uh, uh, so it is, uh, I, I find that just uh, in another moving target. I think it's a cultural shift that's happening um, and people like you are helping it along. Uh, and your book is definitely going to be a piece, an important piece of that. I think it's going to be used in all kinds of um, uh, studies, uh, LGBT. This is the channel that this uh, podcast is on, the LGBTQ+. Uh, studies out there in academia, this is the kind of book that would be a great uh, companion to the reading list for a lot of courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, yeah, so definitely. Uh,
1: hope, yeah, it serves as an academic resource or something that librarians really want.
0: <laughs> yeah. And even
1: the even the bibliography in the back, I had to pare that down just to make it fit. So, if anybody wants to email me with, and I can give them just lists of stuff. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, like I said, beautifully done, um, very thoughtfully done. Um, you really go into uh, the ways to be helpful. You're not just saying this is how this was and um, good luck. You're actually showing people, telling people how to find out more um it's it's like a documentary book a docu book uh, in that regard but like it's so that. much more <laughs> yeah it's got a lot going <laughs> on. It. very useful and fun to read because it's a beautifully illustrated book so um there, it's multi multi-sensorial and um if you're if you're ever going to do it as uh, and an, one of these days uh, as an animated project um, i think it would very much lend itself to that i would love to see that happen um that would, so <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> that would be so much fun.
1: I'm um, writing that down. Okay, good.
0: That would be so much fun to watch. And so, so so I think it would be excellent. Um, so um, I have uh, one more question uh, mm-hmm. for you um, before oh, we, we do. We're getting close. Um, we're at 45-minute mark. We, we can't go beyond an hour. We'll get <laughs> shot down by the, by the um, evil people. Um, no, the, um, I wanted to ask you before we go, um, what – where are you going next with your work?
1: Um good question. <laughs> I I think I I would like to do more historical books, maybe even historical fiction, you know, something maybe not as serious. I mean, I had a lot of fun doing this book and I do take it very seriously, and I hope people take it seriously too. But um yeah, I think I think more Queer themes for sure. I mean, I don't know how to make books that don't have that.
0: <laughs> well, um, um, the work is so important. Uh, I think our listeners, uh, it's a, it's, it, it it's going to have a broad, broad appeal. Uh, age groups, gender people, uh, people. I mean, people with, who are genderqueer, but also the um, the uh, cis world. Um, there's a lot to learn here. Um, mm-hmm. So, bravo, brava. I'm not sure which one now. Uh, what yeah, works? Think- We're gonna have to find a new word for that that fits uh, in between. <laughs>
1: Bravo. Bravo.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. Write that down. You said yeah. it.
1: <laughs> I'm writing it into
0: dictionary.com right now. <laughs> yes. Bravo. Oh, I love that. I'll be using that, and I'll be I'll be, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, attributing it to you. Um, I've had such a good time reading the book and talking with you, Shelby. Um, congratulations. This is a huge accomplishment, and you. this is your only first book. I can't wait to see what happens next. That's why I asked you that last question. Um, gotcha. Uh, so we're uh, – Uh, I think uh, we're going to have to shut down the the conversation for now, but I hope we talk again. Um, There's a lot more to talk about. So thank you um, uh, for for joining us. Um, The book is Queer as All Get Out, Ten People Who've Inspired Me by Shelby Siswell. And it's from the the publisher Street Noise Press, which even itself has a cool name. Um, So thank you, everybody, for joining us for this episode. Um, Hope you join us next time. Goodbye, everybody.